Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. I am your host, Laura Reeves. Here at the Good Dog Pod, we are all about supporting dog breeders and responsible dog ownership. We provide dog lovers with the latest updates in canine health and veterinary care, animal legislation and legal advocacy, canine training and behavior science, and dog breeding practices. Subscribe and join our mission today to help give our dogs the world they deserve. Welcome, everyone. I am Laura Reeves, host of the Good Dog Pod. And we at Good Dog are so excited to have you guys join us for this live webinar. This is part three with Dr. Hutchinson. I think you guys are going to find a lot of really good and really valuable information to take away from this conversation. And if you didn't have a chance, you can take a listen to part two that we did last week. Our final topic for today is we're talking about common whelping problems. And so these are questions, again, from the audience that have been sent in in advance. So the first one, let's say we have a successful pregnancy and the bitch is getting ready to whelp. What are some common causes of dystocia and when should a breeder consider giving calcium or oxytocin? Well, the biggest problem I see is you got your bitch pregnant and you immediately switched her to a 30-20 food and the bitch has now gained 11 pounds and she has three puppies. And remember, the uterus is a muscle. So when you're talking about having a breeding bitch, this is something that's a concern year-round. If you were going to run in a marathon, you wouldn't sit around every day and say, oh, geez, the day's the race. I'm going to go run 26 miles. So in a uterus, being a muscle, we have this, what are the things that can affect the bitch and her ability to well? Well, first of all, overweight bitches have been shown to be poor conceivers, poor whelpers, and poor nursers. So sometimes that lean, mean breeding machine is a good adage to follow with your bitches. A second of all, a bitch is pregnant, is not ill. She can go out on walks. She can go out and run around. I've had people field trial bitches up till they were five weeks pregnant until the Puppies just putting up pressure on the diaphragm. So make sure the bitch gets a good exercise program. Be sure she's not overweight. And remember, how do puppies affect the bitch? Well, the first 17 to 18 days, the fertilized eggs haven't even implanted in the uterus. There's no stress on the bitch. She doesn't need increased food at that time. The second three weeks is the development. This is when the palate closes, the abdomen closes. The puppy, though, isn't growing rapidly. He's just developing. The last two weeks, the puppy's double in size. So to start overnutritioning back on day, first time you find out she was pregnant, probably leads to more problems than it does good. And the big calorie demands, of course, is when the bitch is nursing the puppies. So that's one thing. Make sure that the bitch is healthy. This is an athletic endeavor, whelping puppies, in all honesty, when you think about uterine contraction and things like that. Second of all, there's no doubt, younger bitches whelp faster than older bitches because the uterus gets thicker over time. The uterus can get cystic over time, and it doesn't contract as easily. So that's a part of it, too. Younger bitches actually are better conceivers 
better litter sizes and better whelpers. Third thing that you want to do is make sure that you are aware of how many puppies are coming. Going by the seeing eye people who whelp thousands of litters, if you have less than three puppies or more than eight, your chances of your bitch free whelping these puppies all alive is reduced. And it doesn't mean that a bitch can occasionally have a 12-puppy litter fine. It doesn't mean a bitch won't occasionally have two puppies, but that's where you start to play the odds. So why is that? Of course, if you have one or two puppies, they have no competition for space, no competition for nutrition. They grow larger. Even though the bitch's due date is 63 days from the ovulation date, the actually whelping trigger is cortisone that the puppies put out. And the cortisone causes prostaglandin release, which suppresses the progesterone. So one or two puppies are not going to put out the amount of cortisol that six or eight puppies do. So you suddenly have these puppies getting larger, going one or two days over. That's going to be more difficult for the bitch to whelp. Again, as we mentioned, the uterus being a big muscle, a bitch that has 12 puppies, the uterus is going to get tired. So even though the puppies are not going to be as large, they're going to control themselves because of the space the bitch gives in the nutrition, it still is going to be tiring on the uterus. So what do I use as signs of whelping problems? Well, one, if the bitch is one or two days over a known due date, let's say we know from ovulation she was due Monday, and here we are on Thursday, you worry about the puppies outgrowing the placenta. And if you reach a certain point, then the puppies start to resorb back through the placenta back into the bitch. And these are the puppies that are born, they're scrawny, they're dehydrated, and they usually don't survive. So you want to be sure you know your due date, and that's based on doing your progesterone. Second of all, if the bitch starts trying to have puppies, is pushing down, bearing down for, let's say, over a half hour, then you're concerned, is the puppy too big? Is the puppy head back? Is the puppy shoulder back? And many times getting in, getting this checked out, whether it be straightening the puppy out and pulling it, whether it be doing a C-section, may save the other puppies. Because that uterus is going to be pushing against that puppy trying to get it out and can cause separation of the placentas of the other puppies. Other thing that I look at, if we're going longer than two hours between puppies and we know there's still a lot left, well, then you start saying, should I use oxytocin? And oxytocin is a dangerous drug. You have to be aware of how it works. We'll all say yes. We know you give oxytocin, it causes calcium to go into the cells and causes uterus to contract and pops the puppies out. But if you use oxytocin at too high a dose or too frequently, it causes the puppies to be clamped on by the uterus, not pushed along. So oftentimes giving oxytocin may actually shrink wrap the puppies in the uterus rather than moving them along. So how much should you use if you're using oxytocin? Well, small animal oxytocin is 20 units per ml, 20 units per cc. So what I use is two units, that's a tenth of an ml, per 10 pounds of bitch body weight pre-breeding. So if we had a bitch that weighed 10 pounds when she was bred, we would only give her a tenth of an ml. If you have a 40-pound bitch, well, there you're probably going to be giving her four-tenths of an ml, something like that. Because you want to be sure you're not overdosing it. 
And if you're using oxytocin, I probably never give more than one ml, even if it's a 200-pound bitch. You give the dose, and if nothing happens within 20 minutes, you give a second dose. So we're doing this. We've had no active labor, no side of active labor for two hours. So we're giving one dose. And then either A, out comes a puppy, or B, nothing happens in 20 minutes, we give a second dose. If the second dose doesn't do it, then we're not giving more oxytocin because then we're shrink-wrapping the puppies in There's some other issue going on. The first injection or two of oxytocin actually increases the blood flow to the uterus. We said before, that's one of the two things keeping the puppies alive. So that's an advantage. But if you continue to use it, it causes the blood vessels to dilate, lowering the blood pressure to the uterus and starting to put the puppies in jeopardy. So if you use one dose, nothing happens. Use a second dose. There's something wrong. It is not that you are oxytocin deficient, that you need a third, 10th, 15th dose. I went through a spell, a great question you asked. We went through it. Myself and a third genologist at one of the universities said, if oxytocin works, and it does by causing calcium to move into the cells, are we better off giving just the calcium? So we went through a period of time where we did that, saying maybe it's the calcium that's the problem, not oxytocin, and it really wasn't that successful. So I am not a huge calcium giver. If I use calcium, it's only the calzorb, the oral gel, that's absorbed almost as quickly as injectable. But calcium is even more dangerous than oxytocin because it can have an effect on the heart. And oftentimes, what may be an overdose on a German Shepherd may be an underdose on a Cocker Spaniel. So that's why I like the oral, where you can give small amounts more frequently. I don't use injectable calcium anymore. But now that we check in our practice, we check what is called ionized calcium. That is the true calcium in the bitch. Whereas if you're running your chemistry panel that the veterinarian runs because your dog isn't feeling well, the calcium on there is what is called non-ionized calcium and can be affected by some of the other chemicals. So now that we're checking ionized calcium, it's pretty rare to find a bitch that is truly calcium deficient. And back in the old days when we used to pump everybody with calcium tablets while they were pregnant, we were creating our own problems by the negative feedback. The body says, hey, if you're doing it, I'm not. But now that we're looking at calcium levels, the ionized calcium, really pretty rare to find a bitch is truly low on calcium and probably not something where you need to be pumping calcium into them. Probably, if anything, where you see it are some of the ones that go through the purple tetany, eclampsia, milk feed, right. all the names have been put on where the puppies just start draining the milk and sucking the calcium out and the bitches start rubbing their face and start twitching a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's places where you may need the calcium, but as far as with whelping, calcium is usually not an issue. Right, right. Calcium after, not before. Yeah. Okay, so we've got this bitch that's going long. Let's say we've got what I just went through, 13 puppies and it's 20 hours. Anything that we can do on our end to make her life easier other than have kept her in good weight and good fitness prior to getting started. If I had a clumber bitch that had 13 puppies, there's no way in the world I'd free whelper. No, it was a wire hair pointer, that one. Oh, well, wire hair pointer. I'm sorry. Whatever. If there's any bitch that I have that's a medium-sized dog with 13 puppies, I'll tell you, as I go in and I do a lot of C-sections, there's two Mm -hmm. three reasons. One, 
some bitches need C-section. They have a puppy stuck or something. But there was a study done at Cornell where they looked at whelping all over North America. And they found out one of the main things was you actually get more live puppies from a C-section. Yeah. The reason being the number one cause of lost puppies is prolonged labor. You're just getting tired. The puppies, placenta separating them. They're losing oxygen and the puppies die. Many times you have a huge litter. Those last two puppies are way up there in the horn. Don't come out alive because they started breathing about the point of the left kidney. And by the time they got out, you know, they had drowned. So does every bitch need a C-section? But absolutely not. But then the third thing is I look at these seeing eye studies of thousands of whelpings. And they're saying if you have a litter that's five bigger than eight, then at least you consider it. So if the bitch ends, mm-hmm. so let's say your bitch starts out, we'll use you as an example since you brought it up. It's With, good. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. So so your bitch probably the first few just popped out. There was so much pressure in there that they probably came out pop, 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 pop. But then you suddenly get that uterus in. And when I'll do a C-section on some of these big litters, I mean, that uterus, it looks like cellophane. It is stretched so much. And then you're thinking, okay, where is that recoil going to be as far as getting that involution and moving those next puppies out? Mm. So I would go back to my original things, the things I use. You call me up and say, Hutch, it's been three hours since puppy number six, and we know there's seven more to go. We might try one injection of oxytocin, even though if there's six, seven puppies, we're not going to deliver them all with oxytocin. I just guarantee it. Those are almost Powerball odds. So I would handle a lot different. You say, hey, we've got three more and we've had 10. Then I would be an oxytocin guy. If it's been five puppies and we've got eight more to go, then I'm probably saying, you know, you're going to start losing puppies. So one of the things I would probably do is say, hey, let's take a look. If you have a Doppler at home, can you get a fetal heart rate? Bring her in. I'll put the ultrasound probe on. If the fetal heart rates are still 200, that means the puppies are healthy, then we may give her a little more time. If we start seeing the fetal heart rate starting to slow down, then we start to say, eh, are we jeopardizing the puppies? And this has been my philosophy, and it's probably different than other people's, but mine is we bred this bitch. It is not greedy for you and I to think we have the right to every puppy that conceived and made it the term to be a puppy weekend hold, we can pet, we can sell, we can show whatever. So there's so many statistics, and these have been repeated multiple times by different veterinary schools, that probably 20 to 30 percent of all the puppies that reach term are not alive at six months of age. So sure, some of those are going to be genetic defects. You can't get away from that. Occasionally, a bitch lays on a puppy. Sometimes just bad luck happens. But The main thing is these puppies were normal puppies, but then they just didn't get born because the uterus got tired. The puppy went overdue. So sometimes I'm probably a little more aggressive on getting the puppies out rather than saying, what can we do to avoid it? Mine is, hey, let's follow the signs and let it tell us what we should be doing. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. All right. So we got our puppies out. And isn't it wonderful? It is. It's fabulous. Oh my God. The best. The greatest thing in the world. But now we have a puppy that's not doing very well and we're freaking out. Right. (laughs) Right. So 
How long do you work on a puppy that isn't breathing? Do you have any suggestions for people for that? Like I'm got these puppies. How do I keep them going? How do I get them going? What are your tricks? Well, the thing is this, you need to know what is actually wrong with the puppy. I mean, there are certain puppies that are going to be born that have some condition that just can't live outside the bed. Just happens in all other species too. Mm -hmm. But there is a difference in fetal hemoglobin as opposed to adult dog hemoglobin. So puppies can survive a lot longer without breathing than what an adult can. So how long do you work on them? Well, sometimes it's tough to give up. So things we look at, I'm a big user of the Gentung acupuncture point. That stimulates right, yes. That's the one that's right here. You take a yep. little needle. I've and used it. it. Yeah, chicken yep. peck it right down to the bone. I did that the other day mm-hmm. on a puppy, and that puppy is going to grow up and probably be at least a group winner. And your hole would have been five feet deep looking at that puppy's chance of survival. So I do that. We've gone back to using a product called Dopram. And Dopram is a respiratory stimulant. It causes a puppy to breathe. And Whatever happened? Why did it go away? It was Because they don't use it in humans. And we went through that phase back in probably the 90s where if Mm -hmm. humans didn't do it, we weren't going to do it. Mm -hmm. Humans don't have 13 babies, but it was still (laughs) the same way. And the number of us that deal in reproduction, it's not just me, have gone back to maybe using it, just put a drop or two under the Mm -hmm. tongue. And in some puppies, it helps. Another thing that they don't do in humans is that human heart rates, one of the things that puppy heart, remember now, that's the only thing keeping the blood pressure on puppies circulating. So a puppy's heart rate, when it's first born, it should be fast. You should put your finger on chest and be going, boop, 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 boop. If the heart rate is boop, boop, this is a puppy in the process of dying. And there's a product that we use called atropine. And there's debate on whether it works in puppies. And, you know, to me, it isn't me saying it does or doesn't, seeing a response in puppies. But if you've got this slow heart rate, and I remember when I first used it, because they always told us it didn't work because in human, human babies can't respond until seven weeks to atropine. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, if it can't work in a human, it sure as heck can't work in a dog. And I had a lady, and this is, I can picture this just like it was yesterday, had a Yorkie puppy and his heart rate was like, it was slow. I mean, it was almost, every time you said it's dead, you can feel the heartbeat. And the lady said, isn't there something else you can do? And I went ahead and gave it just a little bit of atropine in the heart. And that sucker went boop, 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 boop. And all of a sudden, the puppy just like it woke up. So it is one of the things that we don't hesitate. So we're pretty aggressive on puppies. I mean, those of you who've been to my office, we have a nursery where the people are when we're doing C-sections right. or delivering puppies. So we'll use oxygen. We'll use the acupuncture point. We'll use dopram. We'll use atropine, occasionally epinephrine. But my people, you know, we do probably three to 400 C-sections a year. Plus, we also whelp bitches for clients. So mm-hmm. my staff, they're the best. These puppies the other day, they were dead puppies and they're normal because of what my people did. Mm-hmm. But again, we use some drugs. We use some oxygen. We also realize that puppies aren't fragile. We're pretty stimulating on, pretty aggressive. And then sometimes it comes around to some it doesn't. And when do you quit? I don't know when you finally say it can't be, it can't be. But I've had some puppies that you said didn't have a chance that that came around and other ones you do the exact same thing too. And it doesn't make a difference, 
But, you know, there's all these biochemical issues, congenital issues that affect puppies. But being aggressive, I guess, is the honest answer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you whelp a number of litters, it probably behooves you to have some oxygen at home. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do it is just take like a little 5, 10 gallon aquarium, something that has solid, run the hose in there at a low flow and just put a towel over the top. I mean, right. all puppies benefit from a little bit of oxygen. So, I mean, that's one thing that might be worthwhile having at home. Some of the drugs I mentioned, but there's really no reason like the Dopram, anybody can do the Jen Chung acupuncture point. Somebody I saw actually asked specifically about that. Can you, and Judy, I'm sure you saw this as well. Dr. Hutch, can you show us on the screen specifically yeah. what you're talking about and how you do that and what gauge needle yes. and okay. all of that? Where this is, is the exact point when you were going to sneeze and you put your finger up there. That's the point you're pressing. That's the acupuncture point you're using to stop you from sneezing. But anyway, so what you do is you can take any type of needle. I usually use like a 16-gauge hypodermic needle, a very small one. And some people put it right in that spot. There's actually that cleft under right, the nose cleft. you can see mm-hmm. in the puppies. Mm-hmm. And some people put the needle in and twist it. You go down to the bone and you mm-hmm. feel it twisting. Other people do what's called chicken pecking, just boop, 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 boop. Mm-hmm. I'm probably honestly more of a put in and twister there's something about the chicken packing. <laughs> it gets all over, I think. But using that, it's the same spot where you, when you're going to sneeze, you go, oh, that's the point you're pushing. So that's the same spot on the puppy. There's that cleft. You put the needle in, twist it, and you can actually leave it in while you're massaging the chest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Judy, we have about five minutes left on this segment. Do we have some questions? Well, let me just answer this one. A lady just asked, can you use even like a sewing pin? Sewing pin. You can use mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a puppy and you're laying there and this puppy's life and death is where they're, I mean, anything you have, I use a hypodermic needle, but you could use a sewing pin, a needle, just anything mm-hmm. where you're stimulating that acupuncture point to get the puppy to take a breath. That was Excellent. a good question. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Absolutely. Go ahead, Judy. I'm sorry. I just saw that and thought that was a good follow-up. <laughs> that yeah. was a great follow-up. One question I think could help everybody is what would you suggest to have on hand for a first aid kit for puppies, just so that we have a complete list? Can they get Dopram and oxytocin and all these different things from their vets? And what should they have on hand? You know, that's a good question because it depends on the veterinarian. So things that everybody should have at home is you should have, I think, an oxygen source. If you're whelping multiple litters, an oxygen source, there's nothing comparable to it. And people say, well, I did artificial respiration, and they opened the puppy's mouth up and went, well, that's not artificial respiration. That gives the puppy coffee breath when it dies. But you need something that's going to expand the lungs. So having an oxygen source, the fluid that actually the puppies inhale, the amniotic fluid is positive. So you aren't flinging the puppies like we used to do 30 years ago. So what you want to do, though, is you want to have just a bulb syringe because you want to suck like the mucus out of the back of the throat. And sometimes just having the puppy downhill so gravity helps. And some of these real fluidy puppies, I'll take a yardstick and just put a little like vet wrap around the puppy and stand it upside down. And you'll see the amount of fluid that drains out of this puppy is amazing. So 
removing the flu from the back of the throat, the noses, but you're not trying to dehydrate it because that amniotic fluid stops the lungs from sticking together. Dopram, you have to almost who you deal with on that. There's nothing you can do. It's not a dangerous drug. There are veterinarians that are reluctant on oxytocin because if a puppy is stuck, if you've misinterpreted what goes on and you gave it to one, it's not the uterus is tired, the uterus just can't get the puppy out, you could rupture the uterus. And also the dosing on it. So the oxygen, a little dopram if you have it, if you can get it, possibly an oxytocin of the correct dose that we talked about. You don't want to overdose it. You know, the environment where the puppy can get more of the fluid out of it. You have the needle, you have your veterinarian give you like a 25, 26 gauge needle or a pin or something like that if you're going to use the acupuncture point. I mean, with those things, they're either going to make it or they aren't. Other things, you know, that you have in your kit, of course, is if you tear an umbilical cord, you don't have to tie it. If you cut it, you're supposed to tie it. But little dental floss to tie that off. Always check, make sure the rectum's open. Always check, make sure there's not a cleft palate, palate. things like um, that. Dr. Hutch, that's a great, I'd like to just stop right there and give people a description because I think people hear that, but then they don't understand what does that feel like? When I put my finger in that puppy's mouth, what does that feel like if it's correct? And what does it feel like if it's wrong? Basically what you're doing when you look, the normal roof of the mouth comes together at the top, and it looks just like it. There are the little ridges that go across. Well, a cleft palate basically is where the bone didn't come together. It's a midline defect. It's a recessive genetic trait. And basically, then what you see is it comes up, and you look up, and you can actually see the septum of the nasal passage up above. So what you're feeling, a normal one that you're feeling across should be continuous. It should be bumpy, but it should go across. If you come to that dip in the middle, that's where the problem is. And that's why cleft palates are such difficult things to try to correct. And many people don't because of the fact it's a bony defect. It's not just a soft tissue defect. So you can't go and just suture it across. Probably one of the most common genetic defects that are seen, but also probably one of the most severe. You know, as far as the tying off the cord net or if the mother tears it, not a big deal. People think that causes hernias. It doesn't. Hernias is also a recessive genetic trait. Make sure the rectum's open. And my philosophy is this, something you mentioned is, if all of the puppies in a litter are doing poorly, then, you know, you say, wow, are they too hot? People have a tendency to overheat puppies, you know, overheat puppies. A whole nother talk would be, what's the normal temperature of a newborn puppy? puppy? body temperature is only 96 to 97 degrees. If it's 101, you're overheating them. So if all the puppies are looking bad, then I'm worried about, are they getting enough nutrition? Are they being overheated? Is there something else going on? Or are they cold? Or cold. Yeah, probably overheating is much more common than cold. Mm -hmm. But anyways, on those litters, I'm really aggressive, really aggressive. Mm -hmm. But if you bring me in a litter of nine puppies, and eight of them are thriving fat, and there's one that's half the size, scrawny. Mm-hmm. That usually tells me there's probably something. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but I'm probably not going to be as heroic when everything you're doing is working on the other eight. Right. Is this one just bad luck, or is there something wrong with it? Right. And I always remember, too, that 
when a human baby is born, they prick the heel and test the blood for all those biochemical problems. Puppies probably get all those biochemical problems. We just can't test for them. So there are certain situations. So to me, if the whole litter is having problems, we're real aggressive on those ones. On the other hand, if there's one out of eight, we'll try, but probably not as aggressively. Right. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Hutch, we appreciate an hour and a half of your time is a gift from the Therianologist gods. And we are super, super grateful for it. Thank you. And thank you, everyone. We had well over 700 people watching live from around the world. Everybody, thank you so much for your participation today. It was a wonderful, amazing conversation. Please feel free to reach out, as I mentioned earlier, breeder team at gooddog.com anytime if you have questions. And make sure you visit gooddog.com backslash join as breeder if you haven't joined yet. And again, thank you, Hutch. We really well, thank you. Thank you for all the kind, kind thank yous that are going past. And I know a lot of you people, so thank you. And just hopefully I'll get together sometime. Thank you. Dr. Hutch, you've made everybody's 2020, I think, with this. So thank you for giving us such an awesome experience. And for those asking questions about, will we be circulating a recording and transcript and answering questions, we are going to dive into all of that and make sure that we get this around to you with a recording. We'll pull out kind of links when people ask about where they can get things and see if we can get you guys answers to the questions that you asked live, because we are so grateful to you for engaging and doing that. So keep an eye out. We'll follow up with an email. Dr. Hutch, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank we'll- you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Good Dog is a secure online community that advocates for dog breeders, educates the public, helps informed puppy buyers connect directly with certified good breeders, and promotes responsible dog ownership. Good Dog is offering its good breeders special advanced access to the video recordings and transcripts for the full three-part Q&A webinar series with Dr. Hutchinson. All you have to do is sign up as a breeder at gooddog.com dot com slash join. That is G-O-O-D-D-O-G dot com slash join. Or click the link in the show notes.